In the late 20th century, the city of Los Angeles is ravaged by crime and immorality. An earthquake measuring 9.6 on the Richter scale hits. Los Angeles Island is declared no longer part of the United States and becomes the deportation point for all people found undesirable or unfit to live in the new moral America. From the southeastern hills of Orange County to the northwestern shore of Malibu, the Great Wall excludes L.A. from the mainland. Once an American loses his or her citizenship, they are deported to this island of the damned, and they never come back. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Escape from L.A. You're a snake, Bliskin, aren't you? I thought you'd be taller. Hosted by Arnie. What do you expect? I don't know, you just look so retro. Kind of 20th century. Stuart. Something's going down, we need him. And Jacob. My God, they're real. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. When I get back, I'm gonna kill you. Listener discretion is advised. Prepare to broadcast worldwide. Worldwide! Today, we're discussing Escape from L.A., starring Kurt Russell, Stacey Keach, Steve Buscemi, Peter Fonda, Jorge Corafase, Cliff Robertson, directed by John Carpenter. This is Arnie Kozda now playing, and I love L.A. And Stuart. And this is the host who looks so retro, so 20th century, Jacob. <laughs> 15 years. That is a long time to make... A sequel to your second most popular movie. And what's funny is it made the exact same box office. (laughs) Well, they tried to get it made sooner. They hired someone in 1986 who wrote a first draft. In my opinion, a very different tone than what this film is based on the information that's gotten out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show Equalizer. The Denzel movie? That's what I'm familiar with. I guess it's based on a television show, though. Yeah, there's an old white guy. What's his name? Who's British. I saw a couple of episodes back in the day. And the head writer of that show, Coleman Luck, was contacted by Carpenter in 1986 to write a script for Escape from L.A. And basically all Carpenter told him is, yeah, Snake Fliston's got Escape L.A. It's it's like another prison type thing. So it was always L.A. The idea was that, like, because, I mean, it's one thing. New York meant something. It really was the ninth level of hell in the 80s. Was L.A. that bad? I don't think L.A. was that bad. But here's the thing. Carpenter rejected that script. And get this, because we all, we all watched this film for this review tonight, right? I hope so. He rejected Coleman Luck's script because it was too light, too campy. Wow. <laughs> Which, let me just give you a flavor, because years later, Coleman Luck sold his copy of the script on eBay, and someone wrote a summary of it and put it up on Ain't It Cool News, and it doesn't sound too light, too campy. It's actually a prequel. Snake is contacted by Hauk, the Lee Van Cleef character, to get a weapon that's in the middle of L.A. And so he's dropped into L.A., which has gone crazy because a fruit fly 
pesticide mixed with suntan lotion. Remember in 1989, Batman, Tim Burton, like when you mix chemicals from the Joker, they'd make you sick and die. Something similar to that happens and just kind of makes everyone into these comatose zombies and lose their mind. And then the big one hits and LA, of course, separates. So it's this real hell island, just like Escape from New York. But Snake's got to go in. He's got to get some kind of secret weapon. And again, too light, too campy. The first thing that happens to him, he gets caught. He gets crucified and put on a float. Now, if you live in LA, the Rose Parade, Mm. big deal. So here's their satire of the Rose Parade, not roses, but condoms making up the floats for this parade. And they're actually like doing battle bots. Like the, the floats are fighting each other and they all have corporate sponsors, but it gets real weird at the end. It, it all ends up at Ratland, which we'll talk about happy land in this, a, a version of Disney Ratland, it, the big fight in front of the Cinderella's castle, where it's revealed that this secret weapon is cloning and they've been cloning all the best soldiers and a younger two eyed version of snake walks out and has to fight snake. And ultimately, the old snake that we had seen in New York, or I guess this is a prequel, so technically maybe we hadn't seen him yet. But he, the one thing that he could do better than this young clone of his, he says, is dying. And he jumps into this vat that the clones come out of. And again, it gets real weird. Somehow Snake's soul basically goes into the clone and the clone like feels all the snakes playing and rips out his eye. And becomes the snake Pliskin that would end up going to New York. Oh, okay. That is strange and could work i guess it sounds like they mined some of the ideas for the movie we watched it sounds like again just going to la and maybe some of the 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 spirit of it i mean i don't think this movie is without camp oh no i think this movie is all about the camp but carpenter didn't like the script it was going to be a dino de laurentis production that fell through (laughs) but we got this movie i think through the sheer will of kurt russell like, this is his favorite character, he said, that he's played. This is his one and only writing credit for a film. Like, eventually, like, I think he just kept getting with Carpenter saying, we got to do this film, we got to do this film. And they sat down and wrote a script. I, I'll say they remade Escape from New York, more or less. It's all going to be the same beats. But they wrote this script, and they were finally able to get it off the ground. And he had more clout. He Obviously, Escape from New York changed his image and gave him the path to being an action star. But I mentioned last week, he was never A-list, right? Like, I always felt like his action movies, he had to share credit. Like, Tango and Cash with Stallone. Stargate with Spader. Backdraft with William Baldwin. He never, like, had his own movie, it felt like. Even Executive Decision, that was a Seagal movie for half of it. Unless he was working with Carpenter. Big Trouble in Little China, I think about. I don't think he was really sharing the credit there with Kim Cattrall. Well, I was talking about the hits. That movie failed. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. He, he was a known quantity, but I can't say that he ever really stuck out. I guess Soldier? I did see Soldier. A failure. Again, that movie was super expensive and made like $7 million. I'm trying to see that. he's People know him. He has a reputation. And yet, what is his big thing? Yeah, I would say more know him from Overboard than Escape from New York. I, I mean, I guess. That wasn't a huge hit, but... That got a remake. New York never got a remake. <laughs> it has a cult following. I guess that's what I'm saying. Cults are always following Kurt Russell, but where is his mainstream success? It just seems to have always eluded him. Sky High is maybe his biggest film? I'd have to look it up, but... (laughs) Sky High. (laughs) 
I don't think that was a hit. Backdraft and Stargate are the big ones, and those are like 70 million. Yeah, he never got, had that same level as, again, Stallone or Bruce Willis. And so was the thought that by doing this, we were, kind of what I was implying last week, we're going to turn Terminator into Terminator 2. We're going to take something that was kind of obscure, kind of a low-budget indie, and turn it into this big blockbuster studio. Yeah, this is a studio picture, Paramount, even though most of it's filmed on the Universal backlot. <laughs> Right. So that feels like this is mainstreaming something that was once subversive, or at least that was maybe an idea. It's really hard to find any information about this one because no commentary tracks. It, it Look, it was controversial. We brought it up last week. Like I posted that I preferred this one over New York, and I get that's controversial. And so it feels like no one really wants to talk about this one, and we'll probably get into why, but... I got this new loaded Blu-ray that's supposed to have all these extras, and I got like an interview with Stacy Keish and uh, interview with some guy that like shows up for two seconds as a guard. <laughs> the caterer? Yeah, Bruce Campbell phoned in. If I can get on a soapbox here, I did take Blu-ray.com to task because I go to blu-ray.com quite a bit you know when i'm looking at do i need to purchase this blu-ray before we review it what are the bonus features yeah it's a good source for all that news and we delayed this review for four months we were going to do it earlier on because last week we had sean ray with us and he'd pledged for us to do this movie and i went to sean and i'm like you know shout factory is putting out a version of escape from la and there have never been bonus features for escape from la and shout factory they're known for loading their movies up and getting everybody they can involved with them in retrospective interviews and their escape from new york disc was absolutely incredible they did a ton on the dark half that we recently reviewed i mean multiple commentaries so we held off and then before the disc came out i go to blu-ray.com to read the review five stars for the bonus features five stars well, look, you do learn, look, from that Stacy Keach interview, you do learn that he was having trouble running on the set, and one of the extras is like, you should get your knees checked out. So he got his knees checked out, and that's why he has two metal knees now. <laughs> Lots of useful information like that. Yeah, first of all, the total runtime for extras is about one hour. There's zero commentaries. There's zero John Carpenter, who he's around everywhere these days. He's interviewing with everybody these days. He's not on this disc. Kurt Russell's not on this disc. Steve Buscemi's not on this disc. They didn't even get A.J. Langer. I don't even know who that is in this film. She's Utopia. I I know her because she was on that show, My So-Called Life. None of them are there. How is this five stars of extras? Jacob, you watch them all. Five stars? I watched them all. There, There is one great one that we'll get into a little bit later. But again, Stacy Keach, this is how he learned how he had to get knee replacements because he couldn't run on the set. And that guy who showed up for two minutes kind of as that Tom Atkins guard type role. Like he did a lot of stuff on Red Skelton. Like he had a lot to say about that. And the guy who plays Queervo Jones, like he talked a lot about his role in Columbus that came out in 1992. Like it didn't even feel like they wanted to talk about this movie. Like even Bruce Campbell, was like, um, yeah, I, I think I went to the premiere as he's phoning in his interview. Now, I did talk to the writer of the Blu-ray.com review uh, because I 
called them shills because Shout Factory is one of the few remaining good Blu-ray manufacturers out there as more and more go digital and things. And obviously, Blu-ray.com gets their stuff free for review copies. And the writer came back and is like, well, Shout Factory tried to get all the other people involved and couldn't. I'm like, well, you don't give them five stars because they asked and got a turn down. You give them five stars for what's on the disc. No, it's not five stars. <laughs> I dare say one and a half. I had the original Escape from L.A. Blu-ray with the only extra being the trailer. And um, yeah, that's basically all you need based on what they added to this one. You don't need to see any of these interviews. Well, I mean, maybe the reason why people don't want to come back and talk about it is it wasn't a very notable release. This movie came out and died really on the vine. Yeah, August movie release, cost $50 million, made the same $20 million that New York made in 81. Ouch. I remember this movie coming out. I was a college graduate. I graduated in 96, but I was still DJing at the local college radio station, and we got the soundtrack for this movie sent to us. That's got to be worth a lot of money because I was looking for it because you got Tool, you got Butthole Surfers, you got Ministry. It's all pulled down off of YouTube on Apple Music. Only the Ministry song is available. Even though all the other songs show up, you can't actually listen to them. Like, I hope you still have that CD. It might be worth some money. It had Stabbing Westward and White Zombie and... Gravity Kills. I knew you'd love the soundtrack. I did. I listened to the soundtrack quite a lot. And the movie had Steve Buscemi in it. And I was, you know, riding high still on my Tarantino wave where Buscemi could really do no wrong after Reservoir Dogs. He hadn't gotten in with Adam Sandler yet, I don't think. Yeah, he, he took this job so he could fund his directorial debut, which I didn't even know he had a directorial debut. So <laughs> I, I can't be great. That's how I felt about Escape from L.A., though. I loved the soundtrack, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go see this. And I ended up catching it on video and remember just being like really, really disappointed. And I couldn't even tell you much about it. All I could remember is Steve Buscemi did not live up to the role I wanted Steve Buscemi <laughs> to have. That was my only memory of this movie. But your, your sole opinion is writing on Buscemi. Yeah, I had low expectations. I mean, I, I rented it. I didn't go to the movie theaters either. Keep in mind, I didn't have high expectations of the first film at that time, so I wasn't really needing more of it. And you just don't do Carpenter after they live. I think I knew <laughs> by that point. This just wasn't going to be top shelf. But I, I remember feeling that it had one or two funny things in it, but it was kind of didn't leave much of an impression. And it seemed like everyone was cranky. The people that did love Escape from New York, they were mad that this movie was kind of a campy joke on the first film, that it didn't take the mission seriously. And like I said last week, this is the first Escape film that I saw out of the two. I saw it probably 98, 99, got it from a blockbuster. I don't even know if they would carry an old movie from 81 like New York, but LA comes first alphabetically. So I probably just grabbed this one to, to watch and then found out there's the New York one and went back. But yeah, like I said, uh, this is one that I feel is underrated. And as I was watching it this time, I had a crazy experience watching it this time because we're living in crazy times. But I put on the movie and about 30 minutes in, I get one of those alerts over my phone that you can't like, I don't even know if you could block them saying curfew in place. I'm like, what? There's a curfew in place. What's going, <laughs> there's riots going on downtown. And then like 10 minutes after I got that alert, 
I start, I'm assuming, I'm hoping they are fireworks because that happens a lot around here. They could have been gunshots though. They're very loud. Like that starts going off. I'm like, okay, if I wait another 10 minutes, am I going to get the earthquake? Like, have I put on the 4D experience of this film? I was all of a sudden living Escape from LA. Yeah, it's been strange to be watching movies about, yes, uh, policing urban unrest in major cities. And then, yes, looking at real life. Sometimes it is a little spooky here. But fortunately, this one has a sense of humor. This one is definitely, if last time I was wondering, are they going to play it for suspense? Are they going to play it for thriller? How much of this can be taken as an action movie? I think... The disappointment has been for fans. Snake Plissken fans seem to be mad that he's in Batman 66. I think that was a lot of my problem is, you know, the soundtrack had a lot of metal music, which I took seriously. So I thought I was coming into a movie that would take it seriously also. And when I see Snake Plissken surfing on poor, poor special effects, I was expecting a different movie than I got for sure. I will just say my my love for this film and and look, I'll just say up front, technically New York is the better of the films. Like I'll go for those weird looking miniatures any day over this bad CGI, but just for enjoyment levels, I've, I've always championed this one. And you know who I got behind me? I got John Carpenter himself behind me. He gave an interview in 2015. So this wasn't 1996 going around promoting the film. I got to talk it up. This is almost 20 years later giving an interview. And he was asked this question like, why do you think it's so hard? Because this is the only sequel that Carpenter has directed. He didn't do Halloween 2. He wrote it, but he didn't direct that. So this person asked him, like, with remakes like The Thing or sequels like Escape from L.A., like, why do you think one succeeded when the other didn't? And Carpenter kind of just scoffed because he's like, The Thing was a failure. I, I guess he's still super bitter about that. But then he goes on to say, to give Escape from L.A. a few more years, and I'm quoting now, it's better than the first movie. Ten times better. It's got more to it. It's more mature. Okay. It's got a lot more to it. I think people don't like it because they felt it was a remake, not a sequel. So, people, I'm just saying I got Carpenter on my side. I'm not the only one that really enjoys this film. Not only a remake, but it feels like Evil Dead 2 or Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Like, we're going back and doing the same thing again, but this time we're we're laughing at things that maybe people took seriously. And I think that sacrilege can really piss people off. And I'll say, you're basing this in L.A. to make it more superficial and, and treat it as a joke. It feels appropriate for that background. I talked about Escape from New York. Like, I, I want that New York satire. We'll talk about Cleveland in this film. If there was an Escape from Cleveland, I don't know. You got to do that satire about whatever the stereotypes of Cleveland are. Drew Carey. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I'm willing to go with that more artificial vibe with LA because that's that's the stereotype here but I do feel like LA had taken the crown away I do feel like New York had Disney and Giuliani cleaning up the Times Square at this time and LA had yeah Rodney King riots and the OJ trial NWA drive-by shootings Bloods and Crips like that was all going on in the 90s yeah it felt like it was the scariest city in America maybe in 1996 when this came out so again Quite a shock to see that, yeah, this is not going to take the tack that John Carpenter is a master of horror. As somebody who had not been to either city back then, nothing about L.A. was ever scary to me. Now, 
if I went to Compton, then yes, but L.A. itself still. I mean, uh, Compton is part of L.A. Yeah, I why, why, why do you separate them? L.A. is a weird thing. It's a bunch of small cities that you guys lump in as L.A., but New York is not like that. New York is New York. It's five boroughs, I mean, lumped together. But it's still New York. Yeah, people think of New York as Manhattan. I mean, I do feel like people think of L.A. as Hollywood, is what the way that I would take it. I assumed everything was about Hollywood. I had no idea that there were other neighborhoods. Until I went there. Until Beverly Hills flees because it's too dangerous, L.A. is not a dangerous place to be. And while Giuliani was starting to clean up New York, it was only getting there. Its crime rates were still pretty high. Maybe in the national news, you didn't get that image. L.A. did feel, you know, being a suburban kid, very scary in the 90s. You were going to get shot just driving down the freeway. Like, that was just something you'd think about. Right, and that's why I bring it up as giving you guys the perspective of somebody who hadn't been to New York at that point, hadn't been to L.A. at that point. Escape from L.A. made sense to me because when I talk to international people and they say they're coming to the United States, they're going to New York, L.A., or Washington, D.C. Those are the three big ones. So you could make Escape from Washington, D.C. Part 3, I suppose. L.A. just made sense to me as the next stop on this journey. I mean, but you could, of course, just send them back to New York, right? I mean, you tune into Books and Nachos. That's one of the storylines we discuss. Escape to New York. Yeah, that would have been the obvious thing to do for the sequel. I think the reason why it was L.A. was because Carpenter was working with a major studio and this was the new place to look at the downfall of American culture. But again, he that 86 original script, when that writer sat down with Carpenter, he wanted it in L.A. That, that was always the plan. All right, well, let's find out what happens. Arnie, give us the plot. It's been 16 years since Snake Plissken, played by Kurt Russell, rescued the president from New York. Now, in 2013, we have a new president, a religious fundamentalist played by Cliff Robertson, who's declared himself president for life. Earthquakes have devastated California and Los Angeles has become an island to which the president exiles any American that does not follow his prescribed morality. More, the president has developed a series of satellites called the Sword of Damocles that he can weaponize to fire an EMP, killing all electricity anywhere on the planet. The president's daughter, Utopia, played by A.J. Langer, has been corresponding with exiled revolutionary Cuervo Jones, played by Jorge Corafase. At Jones' behest, Utopia steals the control box for the EMP device and takes it to him in Los Angeles. Cuervo is using the box to hold the U.S. hostage as a Cuban attack force is headed to the United States mainland. So sent in to recover the control box is Snake, who is going to be deported to L.A. anyway. To ensure his compliance, Snake is injected with a virus that will kill him in 10 hours, but if he returns with the control box, he will be cured. In L.A., Snake meets Eddie, played by Steve Buscemi. Eddie is a grifter who sometimes works for Cuervo Jones, but Snake is captured and forced to play hoops to save his own life. Snake is the first person to survive the basketball challenge, and he escapes and meets up with an old partner of his, Hershey Las Palmas, played by Pam Greer. With the aid of her group, Snake hang glides into Jones's base and retrieves the control box and saves Utopia. Escaping Los Angeles, Snake returns to the president, only to find out he was never really infected with a virus. And rather than be excited at the return of his daughter, the president orders her to be killed in the electric chair. 
The president then goes on TV publicly to use his EMP weapon to stop the invading forces, but Pliskin gave the president a decoy box. Snake uses the weapon to shut down all electronics on Earth, saving Utopia's life, but plunging humanity into the Dark Ages as credits roll. And as we start, we're back in 1998. Jamie Lee Curtis is narrating. And yeah, it sounds like United States Police Force is under the control of, uh, what, Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson? The fact that he calls, like, Lynchburg, Virginia his hometown, that definitely was, like, televangelist central back in the 90s. Praise the Lord program, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell. And it's worth pointing out, the Republican Party had taken a real turn towards being the the party that championed family values. Contract with America, that was going on around now, this point. Yeah, the social issues were where they honed in on. When a president got impeached for getting his dick sucked. Yeah, so what would follow that? But yeah, a Bible-thumping presidential candidate who's going to move the capital to Lynchburg and install himself for life. I think the reason why he has clout is he predicted God would smite L.A. And two years later, in the year 2000, a 9.4 actually hits. So he looks like he, you know, he knows what he's talking about when L.A. becomes an island. Plus, in post-apocalyptic times like this, I could just see religion being something people would embrace. You know, it is often something people turn to in hard times. Having seen New York a few years earlier, and now parts of the continent are breaking off because of earthquakes, yeah, I think selling people on a god that this president can help save our country would be a line to sell. Look, this whole movie is going to be very cartoonish, and that's kind of the appeal to me, is you got this very broad president, you know, right-wing Christian, I'm going to, like, this is the kind of stuff you read in comic books, and it it does feel different. Uh, I guess Donald Pleasant's never really had much of a personality until he picked up that gun at the very end, but this is what I remember. If you ask me to describe the president from either of the escape films, my memory was both of them were these kind of moral majority type figures. Yeah, I didn't get any of that from the first president. I mean... Yeah, it's all in this one. Yeah, it really does feel like, again, they were maybe a more lampoonish environment. Maybe maybe it feels more absurd. Whereas New York was scary, LA's problems felt more outrageous. LA tends to feel like a parody of itself. But immigration was a flashpoint issue back then. 30 years ago, just still where we are now with the idea about a border and when they're going to essentially create a a wall around L.A. and send all desirables that are sometimes in this country, but also ones that want to come in here. Interesting how topical that feels. I didn't feel like this movie dealt, you know, enough with immigration because when they say that they're deporting people there, I didn't see... A huge international population in LA. It seems like most people were deported because they didn't follow the president's morality. They smoked a cigarette or something. Yeah, there's a Muslim in South Dakota that we'll find <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, they, it's, it's outrageous. Again, it feels like they've thrown out the idea of suspense, which they didn't have to do. They could have done some version of this where it also kind of felt like Boys in the Hood or something like that. You could have just made it a South Central gang movie if you really wanted to. But that's that's all gone now. All the issues, all of that, it's, it's here for targets for satire. And Snake Plissken is a strange guy to tell a joke. I'll put it that way. And Kurt Russell has not evolved his performance at all, but he doesn't need to. 
Hey, Kurt Russell was super proud when he shows up in that snake outfit. That is the exact same snake outfit that he wore in 1980 when they were filming this. Is he proud because he fits in it still? like, Or is he proud that somebody kept the exact clothes? No, I he probably kept him. I I think he's proud that he still fits in him. Yeah, he he has aged well. He's in shape, and yeah, I feel like there probably was tempting for a major studio to be like, you know, we could just recast this. Like, no one really remembers the first one. It's strange we have a tie to the first movie because he's really the only thing that reminds me of Escape from New York. Again, when I posted that thing on Facebook, that got me all that hate. I admit it, this is basically a remake. I mean, we're going to go through all those same beats. Stacy Keach is the new Lee Van Cleef. Not as good. I, I don't really know a lot of his stuff. Uh, the, the role that stands out to me is a very strange film by William Blatty, the writer from The Exorcism, The Ninth Configuration. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but like Jesus is crucified on the moon. It's very odd. Yeah, I've seen it and it is strange and he's never really worked for me. I mean, he was my camera on television was probably his most commercial role. But uh, yes, the idea that we're not populating this with spaghetti Western archetypes. We're just kind of getting whoever wanted to show up. It's kind of how it feels. It's more like a an L.A. party. All of a sudden, Robert Carradine and Pam Greer are, are hanging out by the pool, you know? <laughs> Did the anemic bonus feature say, was this actually shot in L.A.? Yes, all of it except the surfing, oddly enough. That was shot in Texas. I'll talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, mo a lot of this was shot on the Universal backlot, uh, Back to the Future town back there. That's what they're going to use for Disneyland. Yeah, so it was all shot around L.A., most of it. Okay, but as we know from watching Rob Zombie films, when you shoot in L.A., you can just find these people who work and who are recognizable names, if not stars, who will come and do your picture pretty cheap. I mean, this is a $60 million movie. I don't know if it's uh, indie. No, but I also don't think Stacey Keach got 10 of that. No, Kurt Russell got 10. He got 20% of the budget. Yeah, I think Carpenter got people that he thought were cool. He's still a B-movie director at heart, and so he wants to get people that evoke, I don't know, sometimes L.A. You know, we get Peter Fonda in here. But yeah, just sort of B-character actors, not unlike Tarantino. That was a trendy thing to do, right? Like, it was cooler to have Harvey Keitel than Robert De Niro. Yeah, but no one wanted Stacey Keach. Like, <laughs> yeah, you might be onto something. Get Lee Van Cleef, get Tom Atkins, get <laughs> Harvey Keitel. Like, again, going back to Escape from New York, after not having seen it for 10 or 12 years, that was the fun. I'm like, oh, wow, this is really a, a fun cast of B-movie actors. This one, you got Kurt Russell, you got Steve Buscemi, Peter Fonda's kind of fun, but... I'll admit it doesn't have that same appeal. And I should rephrase something that I said earlier. I, I was saying that it not, nothing other than Kurt Russell is reminding me of Escape from New York. Obviously, there's a whole lot here that should remind you of Escape from New York when it comes to the story structure. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, this is just sort of my ideal would be you take 60% of the original and bring 40% new. And this is probably more like 90, 95% of the original and 5% in L.A. in jokes. Yeah, instead of getting cremated, you could get the electrical chair. Like They're going to, again, replay a lot of those same beats. We're going to have a timer on the wrist. 
But I guess what I'm saying is, as much as it will follow the formula, it feels like an entirely different genre. Yeah, it's a different vibe. And so, yeah, what's the inciting incident this time? Instead of a president uh, that's gotten into trouble, we have a president's daughter who has been coerced by virtual reality. No, I think this is kind of forward thinking for 1996, getting recruited online to a terrorist army. That's what ISIS does these days. And yeah, she, what, retreated into some VR world. And so you get some silly images of a VR queer Bo Jones, which not that great, but I thought it was kind of forward thinking, just that idea of being radicalized online. I suppose. I mean, AOL was a thing at this point. We had had cyber thrillers. You were a computer guy, though, Arnie. I don't know how many people were online in 96. I'm just saying there were these types of movies, and as a computer guy, I was seeking them out. And I thought this one was a little bit hokey. I I wish we got a bit more set up for Utopia and Cuervo. You know, I agree with you with New York. We didn't get a whole lot of setup. There's like a lot of confusion about the tape and this and that. I don't know. I feel like th- this is pretty streamlined. She gets radicalized online, goes to L.A., and we got to go get this data disk that she has. Yeah, and it, there's another nebulous war brewing. Before it was China and the Soviet Union. Now it seems all of South America is ready to storm the border. In Florida, probably Texas, and certainly L.A., all over we have these unidentified groups that are, for some reason, falling under line of this Che Guevara kind of character. We're to understand enough about this that Quero is leading an entire third world revolution. The revenge of the pre-industrial societies is, I think, how it's typified. Cubans, Brazilians, Ugandans, Colombians, they're all coming in and they know that they can do it because of what Utopia has brought. There's a top secret weapon that they'll spend half the movie teasing that gives these radicals the edge. And that's what he really wanted. You know, the Utopia romance, she gets pushed to the side pretty quick once he has that box. And and I think there is a little bit of a subversion of expectation. You know, Utopia, the president's daughter, of course, he's, she's going to have to be rescued too, but the president's like, no, just kill her. Yeah, I kind of like that as a detail. Again, it is about the changes that you make. And yes, to to a moral person that, yeah, you're telling me my daughter is on drugs or my son is gay, then they're dead to me. I'm cutting them out. I can't associate them with them. So the, the fact that she has, yes, embarrassed him by stealing or maybe, you know, maybe her crime is that she's with a person of another race. It's It's hard to know exactly. But yes, she is written off as not to be saved. In fact, to be a assassinated snake is to make sure to kill her before he comes back but definitely bring back the black box because we're going to need that and just to ensure that you do the job instead of putting bombs in your neck we put a virus some guard walks by him and scratches him and it comes out later that supposedly he was infected he's got what eight hours this time 10 10 hours that's right they all but they always take up like two hours just getting him to the destination i that's really unfair but you got to do all the setup and you got to explain all of this to an audience that may or may not have seen the original or even knew there was an original i do think you can come into this fresh oh yeah that's how i watched it the first time (laughs) had no idea it was a sequel They make references to the first movie more than I actually thought. I thought that this would be so much of a pseudo remake that they wouldn't even talk about him rescuing the president and doing the exact same mission. But we do get a couple snarky lines about how this all sounds very familiar from Snake. Yeah, and they change up the reoccurring jokes instead of I thought you were dead. Now it's I thought you'd be taller. 
And instead of hang gliders, they're going to give him a nuclear-powered one-man sub. I like how they backlight him again. <laughs> like, they, they go for that same imagery that I like. But look, let's just get this out of the way about the CGI in this film. <laughs> we saw it with the earthquake. We, we're going to see it with the sub. We're going to see it like the CGI is awful. And here's the thing. That ripoff of an extra <laughs> Blu-ray, the one insightful interview, they got someone that was on the CGI team for this movie. Was it one of those interviews where he's in the shadow? And his voice is modulated because he doesn't want to be known. I'm kind of shocked it wasn't because he gets very frank. Like, this is Disney doing the computer visual effects. Here's the thing. He said at the time, the visual effects department was under the titles department. So, like, I guess they figured out whoever picked the fonts for the credits could also just take care of the CGI. And, like, they had to figure out how to do all this. He said, we overreached madly like he, <laughs> he he basically went into an apology for all the computer effects in this film he's like we didn't have the technology to do it look we can't all be spielberg and have that sweet jurassic park money and budget like sometimes you got to go with a uh, effects company that doesn't even know how to do those effects yet that's what they went with with their 50 million dollar budget so that wasn't intentional. No, I think this is pretty early on for as many CGI shots as they have. Everyone thinks Terminator 2, that's, you know, that, you know, and the Abyss had that one little CGI scene, but Terminator 2, that's when they really developed this. That only has like eight CGI shots in the whole film. Like this had way more. And yeah, the, the studio that was Disney didn't know how to do it. And they didn't have that money again to get that Jurassic Park team here. Yeah, because you could almost play to your strength by just saying, okay, this is going to look outrageously silly. And I, I do feel like it matches the comedy to laugh. Yeah, I kind of go with it because this is such a campy film. It, it just feels appropriate. It should have a little bit of that sci-fi feel to it. And by sci-fi, I mean Birdemic, not science fiction. Oh, and by <laughs> sci-fi, yeah, I thought you meant sci-fi channel because, yeah, this is poor it was poor for the time and it was poor for this budget it was poor compared to anaconda i mean the movies that were coming out around this time were far better and i partially would watch these movies for special effects back then and i think today a lot of people still do i hear that still about avatar a lot is that the best thing about it is how it looked so i think Letting us down in that regard is a failure that they'll be hard to come back from. And I got, I don't like putting words in people's mouth, but I got to figure this is a lot of the reason fans of New York reject this film because, look, again, miniatures and matte paintings just look cooler than bad CGI. Yeah, I agree. This is the, actually the worst era to, for special effects, I think, because CGI in most people's hands wasn't good enough to be convincing yet. And so you... You have these ugly, very unconvincing composite shots where it's just clear that, that he's not in a sub. Yeah, there's this great shot where like later on where Snake is on a motorcycle and he jumps off a ramp over a guy into the bed of a truck and it looks awful. And why couldn't you just get a stunt guy to do that? It would have been great. Yeah. I mean, there are some fun here. They do. They, I, it seems like all of downtown L.A. has flooded. We see City Hall underwater. We see Universal Studios. I guess that's a swipe at a rival studio with a real Jaws popping up. Even though they're using their back lot. You know, the shark's going to come up to, to bite at them. There's a lot of in-jokes. 
Yeah, and that, I guess, being from L.A., that's part of the appeal for me. Not being a transplant, but being a native here where it's different than if you're a transplant, I think. L.A. is always called superficial. That's because all you people from the other states come here and you want to be actors and you got to get fake tits and and fake chins and fake accents and all that. That's why California is superficial, not because of us natives. But that's the fun for me here is just seeing the landmarks coming from this part of the country. I agree. It was part of the appeal. And I do feel like it is more of a travelogue than New York was like they because they can actually go to a lot of locations you do see a lot of the city in this movie even if it is bad CGI rendering yeah you start off kind of in the valley go to Mulholland Drive get into Hollywood yeah Peter Fonda was going to surf from Mulholland Drive that's a joke in of itself <laughs> yes <laughs> while I don't know LA obviously as well as you two do this definitely had an LA feel to it for me yeah, Peter Fauna, he's playing Pipeline. He is making an appearance here. He'll come up later. They're using him, obviously, for his part of a Hollywood dynasty. And he made a counterculture film that I'm sure John Carpenter likes, Easy Rider. He says he recognizes Snake Plissken from the police channel. Is that a joke on cops? Or are they trying to say that in this future that criminals have their own cachet being on television? Oh, I thought, yeah, you would have just picked it up on the scanner. Like Snake was such a legend. They talk about catching him in New Vegas, Thailand. And we're going to hear lots of mentions about what he did in Cleveland. So I I think, again, everyone in the first film thought that Snake was dead, but they had all heard about him. And now they all thought think he's should be taller but they've all heard about him again i I think that's just there to build up this legendary character and so this wonderful blu-ray that i keep hearing you guys scream about it doesn't have any additional scenes we don't get to see any of this (laughs) no deleted scenes interesting okay no novelization either so i can't provide any insight there (laughs) the movie really doesn't get going until you put your hood up for the acid rain and you walk down the the mountain to what else where everyone wants to go when they come to la man's chinese theater capitol records hollywood i mean tool is playing it's great yeah this brothel in downtown hollywood and robert carradine is a skinhead again some of the casting why him why the nerd i didn't even recognize him no i didn't even catch that one Yeah, he's throwing knives at the guy that Snake has been tracking. He was told that there was a SWAT team that was already in there and one person's alive or at least wearing their tracer. And, well, he is, but he's, yeah, knife practice. Yeah, he's been crucified and killed. Yeah, I saw that. Did not know that was Carradine doing it. It's a weird choice for bring him in here, but he was obviously needing jobs. It was, what, just a couple years after Tommyknockers? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Needing jobs. I mean, again, the fun would be to like really nail L.A., right? Like this is Carpenter working with one of the biggest budgets he would ever have. And so it's not like whoever I can grab. This is like my moment to make a statement about the town that has held me down and made it hard for me to be a filmmaker to my best potential. So I just feel like I should be watching a satirist really just let rip here and it feels like a lot of the jokes are strange like not completely landing with me no i think this is very surface level satire of los angeles like this is you you tell anyone to write a satire about la this is probably you're gonna get a lot of these same jokes it's not deep but it's it's fun to experience at least for me 
here's where I feel like they really missed an opportunity. Last time, I get it. Isaac Hayes, he was in a prison. There's a reason to believe that he's a bad guy. We don't need to know more than that. But here with Cuervo, Pliskin knows the government is corrupt. Why wouldn't he be interested in connecting with a guy that wants to topple the system? Why wouldn't he be tempted to see this guy as potentially an ally instead of someone that he's instantly, as soon as he sees him in this parade on Sunset Boulevard, he's going to attack? I mean, same reason as last week, Stuart. He believes he's going to die if he doesn't complete this mission on time. I guess so. It, it is funny. Like, they call out, and I guess for the joke at the end, but they keep pointing out how dumb Snake is. Like, he keeps shooting at holograms and, and keeps falling for all these hologram tricks because they're they're setting something up, guys. But they, they keep calling him dumb. And, yeah, maybe if he th- thought a little bit more, he's going to sit down in a chair again and, like, just think things over like the last film. Like, maybe if he thought a little harder, he could... <laughs> come up with a better plan you want to use the structure that people know so that they feel like oh i know where this is going and then you want to do that 40 percent surprise of like oh i didn't see this coming and this feels so much like the setup of the duke that it would be cool to see this character not as an obvious bad guy the way that they portray him but i think you know carpenter loves his spaghetti westerns leone did this in man with no name trilogy where Ultimately, Snake is going to pit two sides against each other to his own advantage. He is not political. Political as as some of these jokes are, Carpenter ultimately is not going to side with the oppressed or the oppressor. No, and I think the closest thing we get to a change in any of this is Steve Buscemi, who's playing the Harry Dean Stanton role. No, he's cabby. I guess he's both. He's got that Cadillac he's going to drive around in. Because he worked straight for Cuervo and he's going to kind of work both sides a little bit. I just kind of saw him as that replacement character. I just wish, you know, they call him Maps to the Stars Eddie, selling star maps, which is a thing in Hollywood. I They're full of lies, right, Stuart? I've never done one of those things, but I can't imagine they're legit. But I, I wanted to hear what the Map to the Stars was like in this L.A. Like, I think that could have been funny. Go take this little tour. I want to know who the stars are. Yeah, and the fact that, like, it's, a, it's an audio tour. It's kind of this movie's, you know, cassette, uh, like... A, thing that they had last time where it was all about a a tape that the president had this little audio tour will be a part of the switcheroo with the actual MacGuffin. uh we're eventually going to find out that cuervo has a device that is in the emp they will be able to give him all the power to shut down the borders so that third world countries can overrun us but don't you wish the movie kind of consider that more like what does that mean are we to hate cuervo i mean where are you at with cuervo Like, I think we're just naturally to assume that he's bad and that's a bad plan, too. I don't know. I see this president is bad, so I don't know. Fight it out. Let's see who wins. (laughs) I'm kind of in that Snake Plissken role at this point here. Yeah, I feel that because the president is so over-the-top evil that I'm on Cuervo's side. I actually don't think Snake is doing anybody any favors except himself, which is in character. Do not get me wrong. It's not a complaint about the writing, but I'd rather see Cuervo and the Cubans and things take over. And, you know, it's weird to think of the Cubans as liberators, but in America that oppressed, it would be. 
I feel like that you could be more edgy with the politics. And instead, you know, like when I watch A Fistful of Dollars, no, there's not one family that I prefer to the other, but who cares about that? But since we've so clearly established America as corrupt, you would just naturally assume that the other guy must be noble. And then you could do a switcheroo later. Like we could find out, oh, no, he is just as bad. But I feel like this movie... Uh, again, it's so beholden to what had been done before that they're not going to take those opportunities to find new nuance. At least the female sidekick, I'm not talking about Maggie from New York, but that other one he found a chock full of nuts, that version in this film is going to stick around a little bit longer. Yeah, a little bit. She's going to have one adventure when Snake decides he does not want a map from Eddie. He's going to go wandering off on his own. Doesn't he know the song, Nobody Walks in L.A.? Well, he walks all the way over to the Beverly Hills Hotel, and it's become a surrogate hospital for desperate people that need plastic surgery. This is fun. Yeah, this could be its own horror movie. I do believe like this is a concept so good it could stand on its own. I wish that we actually spent longer here, you know. I forgot Bruce Campbell was in this. I didn't know who Bruce Campbell was when I saw this movie. I'd seen Evil Dead, but I didn't pay attention. It wasn't until I was reading the bonus features on that really bad Blu-ray that I I saw Bruce Campbell. I'm like, oh, Bruce Campbell's in it. I wonder who he is. Yeah, he has probably a longer phone interview than seen. I, I don't know. It's only about five minutes. And I don't think he remembers being in the film again. He's like, yeah, I, I'm sure I went to the premiere. Why not? Like all he really talked about was the five hours of makeup he had to do putting on this prosthetic face as the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. Not only that, but he's got all these henchmen and hoodies who I mean, this is a riff on Omega Man, right? Like this feels like they're straight out from like if you pull them down, they'd be albino vampires. And again, why not have some Chuck Heston gun blasting fun here like just uh, i don't feel like carpenter has the desire to slow this down any more than he did in new york to savor his best notions this is a moment to savor yeah there's a really funny point taslima who's this woman that is running around with snake and they both get tied up and the surgeon general is checking her out and grabs her boobs and goes they're real. And I guess that was an ad lib by Bruce Campbell. And it's like just that he'd be fascinated by real boobs having put in so many fake ones. Not only that, but he's, you know, he's like, oh, I've got to have Snake's eye. Yeah, it's only one, but look at it. And, you know, that's, yeah, the idea that people get picked over for their body parts. And since they're new to town, you assume that anyone that hangs around and lives in L.A. will be weathered and unusable uh, after a few weeks Fresh meat. So you could you could have a good 10 minutes here. And I feel like no sooner has this bit gotten started than all of a sudden they're running into the sewer. Too bad. Yeah, it's a real quick bit. Again, it's better than chock full of nuts. And it probably goes by just as quick, though. It, it, I don't know. Maybe it's a budget thing with Carpenter. I, I always want him to savor some moments more than he does in a lot of his films. I don't know that it would be budget in this case so much as, yeah, he's trying to put so much in this film... Yeah, the makeup artist that they interviewed, not Rick Baker, just some low-level makeup artist they got. He did say Carpenter shot this with three cameras going. Like, just get all your coverage in one take and move on to the next scene. Yeah, I'll put it this way. It doesn't inspire me with the confidence to feel like he's in complete control of what he's doing. It's kind of feeling like he's having a lot of ad lib and just going to see what he gets. Oh, I don't think there's a lot of ad lib because Kurt Russell does not do ad lib. You want him to say you put it in the script, it was said. So I don't know. I don't know if it's Carpenter's way 
of making movies. Maybe that's what changed in the 90s. Who knows? But he's not very good here. I, I just want to point out that while he was such an asset in New York, he gave that movie uh, credibility and a cool swagger. It desperately needed to stand out from the pack. But here, now that this is a lampoon, he's no Adam West. Like, you need somebody to deadpan in a way that just makes the comedy funnier. And I feel like he doesn't... Well, obviously, he gets the joke because he helped write them, but he doesn't get to play the joke. I think he's playing the straight man here, but is it straight enough? Is it really selling the jokes? Everybody around him is so large that it makes him seem small by comparison. I mean, even characters Taslima played by Valerie Golina, like, I think it's supposed to be funny that she's a Muslim from South Dakota. I don't know. I kind of got a chuckle. So even though she's not a big character, that's, that's kind of a joke in, in my eyes. And yeah, you, you got to have someone to play off that. I don't know if he always plays off, off of them well as the straight man. Yeah, Adam, Adam West is my model for someone. You know, he doesn't make the jokes. Everyone else around him is doing the absurdity. And then he'll just be there straight face calling it out and it'll be funny. That's what Snake could be doing. But I guess I, Snake never gets a laugh. Other people get laughs. I agree. Teslima is funny. I liked when she said that, oh, we better go inside. The The sun's coming up and I'm worried about that UV rays. I mean, that, yeah. yeah. There's, there's good <laughs> stuff here. And I'm cool. I just want to be up front. I'm really cool if they want to throw out the old movie and say, we're making Gremlins 2. We're making Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. We're making Evil Dead 2. We're not going to play it as serious as we did before. But that requires Russell to play it Maybe more like he did in Big Trouble. Which is not the snake character. <laughs> like, I, I feel that would be a betrayal. Yeah, I, I feel like what worked so well for him in the first movie is working against him in this movie. I'm not that hard on him. I think that he's fine in this. I wish that what he was given to do felt as cool. You know, it doesn't feel like escaping from Bruce Campbell, the screwed up surgeon, is as difficult as escaping from New York. The funniest bit to me is that I've seen plastic surgeons who look like this Bruce Campbell character. I mean, it's supposed to be a joke, but the joke is rooted in truth. Here's the biggest problem for me with Snake Plissken in this movie. It's his outfit. He's wearing some like just all black pleather outfit. It's not cool looking like those gray camouflage pants and that black tank top. Again, that's the level I'm viewing these movies on because I think that's the level they work on and they're meant to be viewed on. But yeah, just I, I don't like the pleather he's wearing. Yeah, and if the first movie felt disorganized and a little simple with the way that it got to the president, here, I mean, ping-ponging around without direction. It truly is, hey, we just want to go to these different neighborhoods because I got good material on them. Like, it just, I don't know where he pops up on this gridlock freeway and Valerie Galena's character suddenly gets gunned down, but so much of the second half of this movie is random. I think that was supposed to be commentary on drive-by shootings. Yes, I agree. That is what it was. But there's no real punchline to it. It would help me to know that he was on the case, that he was tracking something, that he had somewhere to go, that there was a yellow brick road to follow. And here, it just kind of feels like they're making it up as they go along. Snake's just going to get captured again. Yeah. And instead of wrestling, I complain. I'm like, at least put that in the in Madison Square Garden or, or, or something. I Look, they didn't have the money. I get that. But here, at least they got the Coliseum. Like, they're going to have a basketball game in the Coliseum, which is used for football. <laughs> How to take this? How to take this Mad Max Thunderdome layup contest? I love it. L.A. is a basketball city. It's great. 
I'm mostly with the humor of this movie in spirit, but I feel like this bit, I don't know. You're loving it. And I'm glad that you are. I don't want to rain on your parade, but I'm not loving this. I'm not loving that part. Partly it's because it's just so campy. It's so, yeah, let's take this fighting man and it make him play basketball. But again, it makes sense with LA. It's the Lakers. It's a basketball city. And this thing he has to do where he has to like run from side to side making shots and he can't like, this is a thing now where he wouldn't get killed. But when I went out for basketball my freshman year in high school, like this would be an exercise we'd have to do. And it is very difficult. And Kurt Russell insisted that there would be no trickery. He would make every shot. He made that full court shot. That's what they said. I couldn't believe that one. I thought that one was fake, but that one, they said he even did that. Well, I mean, multiple. How many takes? Well, yeah, I don't know how many shots he took. If he did it in three takes, okay, cool. If you did it in 49, then, well, okay, I could probably do that. You know what, though? Now that you say that, I was never sure that that full court one went in. Yeah, there was a lot of editing going around there. But yeah, a gladiator match is something that I expect Snake Plissken to do. I didn't think Snake had game. Like, it's just... (laughs) I think that's the joke. They've kind of betrayed the coolness of the character for this joke. You could love this joke if you want to. I don't. But I think that they really hurt Plissken in the telling. I thought it was actually kind of cool because I wouldn't have expected him to be able to have game. You thought he he came away from this looking good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, come on. They're all chanting snake. I do love the line. This town loves a winner. That's true. Like, Dodgers, you don't win that World Series. We're all going to turn our backs on you. That is how LA is. Yeah, I'm turning my back. I feel like this was a moment where I'm like, it's too much. This was the point in the movie where I was like, I could forgive a lot leading up to this point, but uh, no. I actually found myself enjoying it. The way that the time kept building up, the fact that it was shoot hoops or die, I found it more original than the gladiator scene last time. I actually, I find myself on Team Jacob. I'm enjoying this film more. <laughs> I can't believe you're you're siding with me on the basketball scene. I thought I was the only one who liked it. Even bigger, you're saying in general you're having a better time watching L.A. than New York. Yes. I think the craft is better in New York. So if I want to sit down and watch a slow, dark kind of action sci-fi movie like I could totally appreciate that I love the cast I think that's stronger this one moves so like if I'm just gonna put on a movie to watch and just have a fun time this is the one I'm gonna put on okay I mean I can't argue with that it is bouncing around a lot not just because I it's faster paced I have a good time watching this one I enjoy a lot of the jokes even though Carpenter's saying uh, they're better jokes than New York too campy too light with that original script that all applies here but it's not a problem for me you're from LA yes I do think that Anybody that has an association that has been there, spent any amount of time there, is going to like this more. When I first saw this movie, I had never been to L.A. And and none of these locations meant anything to me. The more you know the city and have an affection for it, the more likely you are to have a good time on all the stops. In Quiro Jones, he's off to Happy Land. Guess what that is? (laughs) Yeah, that was a good joke. To have a climax that builds towards the Magic Kingdom by any other name is a great idea for a shootout. The irony is is very rich. Yeah, and you got to love Snake's journey to get there. Like, first, he's got to surf with Pipeline. We got some Dick Dale playing on on the tunes. Loving it. Here's the thing. They went to Texas to do this surf stuff. And here's the reason why. And I actually saw these in malls when I lived in Texas because you can't surf like in the Gulf of Mexico. It's it's real boring beach if you come from somewhere along the Pacific. Not a whole lot of waves to do much in. But they have these indoor things where they blast the water upwards and then you come down on your surfboard and it kind of just holds you in place. 
and you move side to side. So they're like, oh, that's how we'll film these surf scenes. So they fly some California surfers out to Texas. Well, this is a different skill than regular surfing in the ocean. So they couldn't even do it. And they had to use some <laughs> Texas people to do it. So they have real surfing and then some real awful composited CGI water as well, as well as Steve Buscemi. Like, it's so bad. I'd go with it. It's just kind of funny to me how it all looks and plays out. Like Steve Buscemi's wide open eyes. You see Snake surfing up next to him. I don't know what else to say other than after the basketball, I feel like they went one way and I wanted to go the other. Like, I don't, I mean, we end up at the Magic Kingdom. I can't say that. I do like where they eventually get, but this stuff is just, it's way too much. And Snake's got to get a team. He's got to find Hershey at the Queen Mary, played by Pam Greer, who, I guess this is the whole joke. Hershey used to be Carjack Malone, a man, and they modulated Pam Greer's voice to lower it. Okay, that's what they did. I wondered if it was her voice at all. I couldn't tell, but it sounded like a different voice coming out of her mouth. And it was pretty funny. They said she prepared for this role by walking around with a sock down her pants. Okay. She's the first one to like float the idea they're going to do a little something different with the end. She mentions that Plutonix 7, the virus that Snake has been injected with, is government propaganda. And again, wouldn't it be cool if like we didn't follow the original movie? Like we really went in a radical new direction now. I am looking for change up. Yeah, I'd like a twist at the end. If you're doing, you know, a, a remake of it, something a little bit different at the end would be nice. We're going to follow it beat by beat here. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like we're going to get a big battle. We never got we got a little bit of a chase, but we got hang gliders riding the Santa Anas. Those are hot winds people. You don't want the Santa Anas blowing their fierce. That's when fire season kicks in. They're nasty. But you also get the great shot of the Hollywood sign on fire. I'm surprised we didn't get that earlier in the film. That seems like the obvious place to go. Yeah, I love all the ideas for the stop. I mean, this truly would be a great tour of LA. If you want a movie to, to show you, I mean, I guess it's it's mostly the Southland, but if you want to if you want to see the LA that I knew, this one gets it all in in under 2 hours. And you can see it. It's not so dark where <laughs> yes. you can't actually make out what's in the background and it doesn't even matter if they're in St. Louis cuz you couldn't see it even if it were in New York. Here, it's nighttime, but you can still see what's around him. Yeah, but with these effects, the more you see, the worse it looks. <laughs> the surfing is the only one I hate, hate, hate. Oh, these hang gliders, though, these are practical. Like, they're just hanging from a crane as they swoop into the Happy Kingdom, which, again, it's the universal backlot. This is the town square from Back to the Future. I guess it's supposed to look like Main Street, and they added a CGI castle in the background, as well as the Matterhorn, which they made to look like the Paramount logo that mountain in their logo yeah okay i get it okay i wish they would have done this up look they already had the set i guess with these old time looking buildings but yeah i wish like the original script that was written that this took place in front of the castle that's where you got to go if you're going to fight at disneyland yeah you definitely want to draw this out everyone wants to savor the total subversion of going to the happiest place on earth and having a gun battle like that is just (laughs) that is just the fantasy of any subversive filmmaker to be able to do that and i do love the joke that apparently it was disney paris that bankrupted disney like that's what did it to them they were really they were having a problem with that park that was a flop at the time. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. It was, but it has turned around. Like, that's a joke that is dated. But yeah, funny enough, I guess. Again, I- when I hear about it, I, I still think of it that way. So when I hear things are opening there, I'm like, it's still there. But yeah, I guess it's doing well now. 
Right. Can't count it out. Much like Escape from L.A., it'll grow into its cult status. But I do think this gunfight is also over a little too quickly. Yeah, I don't really like it. Partly because I'm not connecting with the characters. Cuervo is really generic. He's just... Utopia suddenly... I think it's because he wanted to shoot snake even though he made the basket that like we're supposed to think of him as a truly bad person if carpenter indeed is right and there's so much more going on in this movie than new york that its politics are are more sticky and rich uh this is the part where you 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 sell that this is the part where you show the maturity but cuervo is just a generic villain he's a a joke on che guevara Yeah, and it's not like Isaac Hayes was a deeper villain. He's just a cooler looking one. Yeah, what did he want with this chopper? That was how he was going to get out of L.A. He demanded the chopper. And then what? Why did he want to get out of L.A.? I thought he wanted to lead uh, insurrection into... I mean, not everyone's getting into that chopper. Obviously, he's if he's going to take <laughs> over the United States, he's going to need more than one chopper. He's promising quite a few people rides on it. Yeah, and he has that sort of Damocles weapon that they've been teasing that he's going to use. Basically, they could turn that into an EMP and shut anything down. So I think he wants to get out of there while the troops from L.A. charge into the mainland. Okay. Uh, to understand any more about his character would have helped. What I found really confusing. I had to rewind it at one point because you're getting all these explosions. Quirvo Jones is going to pull out a bazooka and Eddie's going to shoot him, but that missile head's still going to get launched off. At one point, I got all the way to where Snake had crashed and he's talking to the president. I'm like, wait, what happened to Hershey and her people? Yeah. I had to rewind it. Apparently... That fire just burned up the backseat of the copter, and that's how they died. Like, it's it's super awkward. And Carpenter talked about with New York how Adrian Barbeau, he had to do an insert shot to show her body because a lot of people didn't catch that she was hit by the car and killed. And, wow, you, you needed to do some kind of insert shot or something because I totally missed that this missile kills everyone but Snake and Utopia. I missed it, too, and I didn't rewind. I just, you know, they're focusing on getting out of there, so I didn't think about where the others went. I just thought we were following the ones who left. I agree. I lose track of all of the supporting characters. The only one that I follow is Steve Buscemi. I know that they don't want to kill him, so he just kind of falls out of the chopper, and maybe the mob will get him, or maybe it won't. They'll save him for a sequel. They know that he is a popular character actor, but everyone else, even the president's daughter, I don't know. Did she fry in the electric chair when she gets there? I don't know. We we do see it. Yeah, we see her celebrating when the power is lost after Snake turns off the power to the globe. Okay. Yeah, I think they really drag this out. Again, New York, it's very tight when you get the president and Snake gets to ask him a question and switches the tapes and walks away. This, you know, they're going to find Utopia and, oh, search her. Oh, she's got the Sword of Damocles device on her. And then Snake is going to show up. And, you know, it's all this stuff. They talked about all this stuff with holograms. He's being in a hologram. It does seem to drag a little bit. Like, at this point, you want to know what the switch is. Because I'm expecting a switch because I saw the last film and this is playing all those same beats. Yeah, I could smell it because they they gave him a holo camera early on. And we saw they made such a big deal about holograms. I just I knew. Yeah, I did too. I didn't, because of how they played it at the beginning, I'm like, okay, this is his big reversal. So he's lucky he didn't really have a disease, because this is also where he should have been cured. If, he, if he'd if he been dicking around with a hologram and had a real <laughs> disease, he'd have died. But he does shut down the world. He fires those EMPs, everything's shut down. Code 666. Yes. 
And I don't know how true this is. I read it off of IMDb, but apparently when this movie came out in August, there was a huge blackout in seven Western states and people were like watching this movie, getting to this point, fire the EMP, movie theater shuts down. (laughs) Or there are people walking out of the screening just to see this giant blackout to happen. Again, a real 4D experience like I had watching it this time. Like a William Castle movie, The Tingler. Yeah, the seats are props built in them and all. That would be fun to have an interactive experience with this movie. Jacob, my biggest question about this movie is what happens after he kills all power to everything on Earth? Now, as I understand an EMP to work, You lose power for a bit, but it's not frying every circuit of everything. But the way that it's described in this movie, it's going to shut down electronics and they're never going to work again. Are any of these graphic novels you're reviewing at booksandnachos.com sequels to this? Do we find out what happened to the world? They all take place between New York and L.A., except for Big Trouble in Little China and Escape from New York crossover. That is its own thing. You you never find out. You'll get the story about Cleveland, but you won't find out what happens after L.A. And you got to assume, like, I don't know, maybe this was a good thing. Like, Brazil and Cuba were 45 minutes away from Miami, so they all got shut down, too. Maybe he prevented a war. Yeah, again, if you think about a fistful of dollars... You know, he pits one side against the other and he walks away the winner. The only winner here is Snake because he got his packet of cigarettes. He's got his American spirit illegal smokes and he's using the match that was given to him by Stacy Keach to blow out all the power. So again, you feel like there's one hero here, one victor. Yeah, welcome to the human race. I do love that last line. But do you love the movie? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Escaping from L.A.? Jacob. Yeah, I still have a lot of fun with this movie. I Again, I see its warts. I see its bad CGI. It's embarrassing at times. I get it. But this is a real campy film. And, and John Carpenter sounded like he didn't want to do that, but that's what he created. And maybe because I'm biased, I got that L.A. bias. But I like this more as a satire about a place than New York. Because, again, this is a surface level, but you hit so many targets in this one. And maybe that's what it is. It, with Escape from New York, it's all about, oh, it's crime-ridden and dirty and lots of trash. And I wanted something more than that. I, wa- I wanted more of a travel log, even if they were filming in St. Louis. That's the pull of this one. It, it's I like the Snake Plissken character. I think he's fun to watch as this anti-hero that's kind of a nihilist. Is just out for himself, doesn't really care what happens politically with these wars and, and and everything and yeah it's just kind of a fun fast-paced adventure with a lot of silly moments I, I i giggle at times and again it doesn't have that craft or, or that vibe that ambiance that i think escape from new york has and, and that great b movie cast brings I, I i objectively new york is the better film i will give you guys that but if i want to sit down and have a good time i think this is a fun time it, it's a satirical kind of absurdist goofy sci-fi action film. Yeah, I give this one a recommend. And I'm not sorry for preferring to sit down and watch this one over in New York when I just want to have a good time. Well, you should never apologize for anything you enjoy. That's not what those responses were saying. Yeah, that's not what the president said. Yeah, but that's what I say. But I'm never going to apologize for my music, no matter how many times you guys insult me about it. (laughs) Stuart. (laughs) Escape from L.A., I thought you'd be taller. I mean, Jacob, you've said John Carpenter never gets the budgets that he needs. Here is a rare example where he did. He had studio power in his hands, $60 million. I was prepared for a movie that really savaged L.A. culture with more panache, more wit. I I don't mind that he's repurposed the skeleton of the Escape from New York adventure. 
because, you know, that original had great bone structure and it was largely unseen. I don't think in 1996 enough people remembered the 1981 movie to feel like it was a cheat to repeat all the plot points. But why didn't he put more meat on the bones? He raises these important social issues about L.A., but it ends up just turning into a lightweight industry comedy. I mean, lighter weight than like Last Action Hero, much less Sunset Boulevard. And so if this escape is not going to be the lean action movie with the dangerous vibe of hood films of the 90s, then it really ought to be funny. And I mean really funny. I need to laugh out loud like I do with The Player or the Stri- or Dr. Strangelove or something like that. And yeah, Snake Plissken is just not funny as a character. I think you're always going to struggle to have your comedy with him as a centerpiece. So I don't mind that they've trashed his legacy. I mind that they've just kind of turned in a trashy film. And I think that despite a few clever details here and there, this movie feels half-baked. It feels like a bunch of drunk celebrities just kind of were fans of Carpenter, crashed the set and said, oh, we we know how this should go. And, and you get something that feels disorganized and underwhelming. Uh, it's a solid not recommend. Jacob, you said the first one is objectively a better film, but subjectively you like this one better. Stuart, you said you can see why fans of the first one were pissed because this one's lesser in such a degree. Is it wrong for me to say neither one of them's very good? It's not like I felt like there was a huge high from which I was let down by the second one. I wouldn't be surprised if that was someone's opinion. Again, with with almost any Carpenter film, except for maybe The Thing, I wouldn't be surprised if people felt they came up short. That was my feeling when I rented this movie in 96. I'm like, I didn't care about the first one. I don't care about this one. But I think having revisited the original and and liking that vibe, uh, this one's a letdown for me. I think this one is on par. It does some things better. It does some things worse. I understand Cuervo's plot a little bit more. I understand the purpose of the MacGuffin a bit more with the MacGuffin being the cassette versus the switch box, not the MacGuffin being the actual people. I think Snake is the same in both. I think Kurt Russell is as good in both. I think there are certain scenes in Escape from L.A. that I do prefer. As bad as the surfing is, the look on Steve Buscemi's face when he drives by and sees that Snake is alive and surfing is... (laughs) That is. Do you think he was picturing in his head how bad that scene would really look? (laughs) (laughs) It's just fun to see some of the actors and actresses there like Pam Greer. Which one's better? It's a toss up. Do I recommend either? It's a toss up. I'll give this one a very weak recommend as well. I'm going to, you know, photo finish between the two. But I basically saw it. For the first time this time, I had very few memories. So I saw it for the first time in my mid 40s and went. I don't see why people would worship this. So if I had to choose between Escape from L.A. or Escape from New York, I think I'm going to choose Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> well, maybe that's what Carpenters decided to do. They they wanted to do a third one, but I think once they saw the box office for this, they knew it wasn't going to happen. But there were plans to do Escape from Earth. They felt like space was the place to take Snake Plissken. Can I do that right now? That Strong recommend for Escape from Earth. Well, <laughs> Carpenter did it. He did it. Have you guys seen Ghost of Mars? I couldn't. I could. I've turned it off. Wow, it is shockingly bad from, like, I hate the speed metal score. I hate the tone of the guitar they use for the score. I hate the editing, the acting. Like, 
Pam Greer shows up. Like, she's not good in it. But that is a combination. Like, I watched it for this retrospective. It is both a remake of Assault on Precinct 13 and a third Escape from film. Like, Instead of Snake Plissken, you have Desolation Williams, who is Ice Cube. I guess when, you know, you can't get Vin Diesel back for Triple X, can't get Kurt Russell back for an escape film, you get Ice Cube. And he is wearing a black tank top. He's got red camouflage pants on. He's in a jail. The cops, you know, he's got to team up with the cops, but he's very much doing that snake role. Yeah, I, that's a different vibe, but yeah, that wasn't my only problem with it. If only the problem was, it's just too much like these other movies. Everything is bad in that. I wish it had been as good as Escape from L.A. It was, it was <laughs> yes. unwatchable. It was an unwatchable film. I only got through it because I was doing it for this retrospective. But another film that I did try to get included here, which really does feel maybe more like the third film is Lockout. It's not directed by Luc Besson, but he wrote it and produced it. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I saw it on your recommendation. I knew that you considered it to be an unofficial third Snake Plissken movie. Guy Pierce is really good in it. He, they would be lucky to have him get that eye patch and play the character in a reboot. Well, apparently the French courts thought it was a great reboot of Snake Plissken. Carpenter sued because, okay, if you haven't seen this film, and I do recommend it, it's a fun film. Guy Pierce is a ex-CIA, like, black ops guy, you know, very much like ex-Special Forces, and he gets in the trouble with the law, and the president's daughter goes to check out, do a human rights visit at a prison up in space, and of course all the prisoners get out and take her hostage, so we gotta send Guy Pierce in there to save her, and there's a ticking clock. There's not a watch in this one, but this whole space prison is gonna crash into Earth if he doesn't go fast enough, so it is shockingly, like, similar to these Carpenter films. So much so, again, Carpenter got half a million dollars from Luke Besson out of this when he sued him. Oh, he won. He won, yes. It seems like that people never win, even when it was like, you stole my idea or whatever. That's how much of a ripoff it is. If you watched it, Stuart, you know it is shockingly like plagiarism. Like this is the stuff you get in trouble for in high school. Yeah, and I don't know that I totally love space as the venue of it. I mean, I do think it's more fun to be in a city than it is to be in this kind of generic space station. But yeah, it had a good spirit. Again, I, I compliment most of what worked about it with Guy Pierce reinventing Snake Plissken in a way. Yeah, he's doing all those one-liners. He's a little bit more talkative than I think Snake yes. is. He likes to smile a bit more. Yeah, and there's a little bit more memento to like, there's a couple things that have happened in the past. They have to replay and all. But yes, by and large, it is a escape movie by any other name. And if you liked either of these other films, yeah, you should probably take a look at it. Yeah, I think that's the one you like the most, Arnie. I will give it a shot. I like Guy Pierce. I don't feel like Guy Pierce has ever gotten the role he really deserves. Yeah, I always feel weird when they throw him in an action film. I never think of him as an action guy. No, yeah, but he's pretty good there. Yeah, he is. He got buff for the role. But it was Gerard Butler that they were looking at, oh, about 15 years ago. When I last heard about them trying to remake this, they were hot and heavy to do it around 2007, 2008. Oh, they've tried making this into a TV show, into a cartoon, like anime style series. They tried a lot to get this off the ground again. In fact, it's part of the reason we haven't reviewed it for so long is we kept saying the reboot's right around the corner. The reboot's right around the corner. Yeah, they've been talking about, yeah, a new Escape from New York forever. 2008, the guy from 300 
seemed like something, I guess they couldn't get a director to sign for it. Now they have a writer-director for it, Lee Winnell, who just recently had the the new Invisible Man and wrote all the Insidious movies. Oh yeah, from, oh, yeah. he's from the Saw films. You know who they need to get is Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son. I don't know if you guys saw Overlord, but man, he is the spitting image of his dad. Funny you should say that. They asked Lee Winnell, as, now that he's writing it, what? who do you envision in it? That's exactly who he picked. Makes sense. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen. If it does, there's definitely ways to improve upon the original and its sequel. Yeah, I, I love these films. I don't think they're perfect by any means. Like I've said, I love them despite and maybe a little bit because of their warts and, and everything. Yeah, I, I rarely find films that I love to be perfect. I mean, like, that's not the definition of, of what makes them fun. I do think they have a winner there in the way they've crafted the world. In the same way that I like The Purge, even though most of those movies aren't very good. Like, just the idea of turning cities into prisons is just a rich idea. And then, yeah, Kurt Russell's take on the character is just a winner. It's too bad for Kurt Russell, frankly, throughout his career that he never found a movie as good as some of the roles that he's turned in. and Oh, come on. Fast and Furious 8? <laughs> I forgot he <laughs> got put into that franchise. But while that's it for Snake Plissken, next week we are reviewing something. Our 1,000th show. We're having a party. You're all invited because believe it or not, we've been cranking out movie reviews. We've reached the 1,000 mile mark. Yeah, that is incredible. I've been keeping track since we hit 900 and we have just been racing at this number at a speed that's downright scary i think we should stay with the city theme we could do made in manhattan or sleepless in seattle wouldn't our listeners love that for a thousandth show (laughs) i will i'll say that la story is better than either of these movies I do feel like, yes, it will be a beloved movie that will have surprises in the way that we discuss it. And I'll leave it at that. It should be a really good, fun show. And our 999th show out this Friday is Candyman 3. Maybe a little less beloved. <laughs> Stayed in L.A. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, Donna DiRico. How can you go wrong when you have a Baywatch babe leading your Candyman film? <laughs> Is this like a After Dark type movie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Should I send the kids to bed? She was not in Baywatch Nights. She was in the regular Baywatch. And it reminds me of what? Was it Kari Wurr who went to Hellraiser? Yeah, it definitely takes on a new quality. And I'm not sure it's to the better of the franchise. But hey, there's always going to be the Jordan Peele version whenever we get that in a few months. I look forward to that installment. And in the meantime, yep. Yeah, our 999th show and if you'd like to hear that show it's donors who've helped us make it to 1000 episodes you can donate and support now playing you can get five reviews at silver level for Candyman films we're going to do the jordan peele one whenever it comes out plus we already did review jordan peele's us if you go gold you get nine additional reviews with top gun and then the tom cruise movies he starred in in the 80s and if you go platinum you get to hear sleepaway camp those are still yet to come but they're what our donors and patrons voted for they wanted to hear us review most at the platinum level so five sleepaway camp films you can find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate 
available for you Friday, along with, should be said, we're doing another one of those live shows. And Jacob, you're the host. Yeah, I'll be hosting it, and I want to subvert expectations. Maybe this movie didn't subvert them enough, is too much of a remake, but you know what? I said I don't like slashers, so let's watch a slasher film that I do like. They do exist. Oh. Going back to the... Well, it came out in 87, but it was filmed in 83. It's called Blood Rage. It's not cranberry sauce. It's a Thanksgiving Day slasher. I love it. That The awful acting from the mom, the creepy twins. Great special effects. Actually, same guy who is going to do the visual effects for Sleepaway Camp that you guys be reviewing as part of the donation series. So a little bit of a tie there, a fun little slasher film. Is it a killer dressed as a pilgrim or a turkey? No, it just takes place on Thanksgiving, actually. (laughs) But look, how many Thanksgiving Day slashers are there? Yeah, not too many. Well, I look forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. And that does stream on Amazon Prime. All right, well, listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us Friday for both Candyman and the live movie viewing that night jacob stewart thank you for touring la with me you bet until next time god save us and watch over you all what's it to be pushkin us or them shut down the third world they lose you win shut down america you lose, they win. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So what are you going to do? Disappear. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Thanks for not killing me, man. I owe you one. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't tell me you didn't enjoy this just a little bit. And also, come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Sir, we're still broadcasting. Good. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. This is bigger than Cleveland. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Oh yeah, a million greenbacks? I got 10 million of them in the next room. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Got a new deal for you. You help me, you live. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Well, I... I want to thank them. This nation appreciates their sacrifice find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. What's in it for me? You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I guess we've got a deal. 
You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. I guess I go in one way or the other. Doesn't mean shit to me. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Bliskin, what are you doing? Playing with myself. I'm going in. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Play number one, the big man, that too. Associate produced by Jason. Get a new president. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. You were the best we had. Now you're just like one of them. You had it all. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Silence is golden. You're the one making all the noise. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I know him. Look at his face. He's lying. Right, Harold. I'm lying. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Is that an order from the president? Absolutely. Or let's just say it's what's best for the country. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. In the name of the workers and all the oppressed of this imperialist country have struck a fatal blow to the racist police state. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Land of the free. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I hope it was worth it. For now you are going to die. Everybody does. Yeah, he, he took this job so he could fund his directorial debut, which I didn't even know he had a directorial debut, so it <laughs> can't be great. No, well, Trees Lounge, that's a liked movie. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll check it out then. I haven't even seen it. I mean, <laughs> oh, full, oh, you're recommending it. You haven't seen it? <laughs> I'm not recommending. I'm just saying that it, he had a couple movies that were noted. I mean, I feel like, yes, he is a director. So noted that you didn't seek out any of them. Well, I haven't seen every movie ever made, but... <laughs> Cuervo is using the Cuervo Jones. It, it's fucking me up because I think Jose Cuervo constantly. <laughs> of, course. Yeah. of course. I think that was even intended. Yeah. I thought it was kind of forward thinking, just that idea of being radicalized online. I suppose. I mean, AOL was a thing at this point. We had had cyber thrillers. Yeah, they weren't good. They weren't realistic yet, though. No, but I'd spent 
three four hundred dollars a month on AOL bills. At you this were point. a computer guy though, Arnie. I don't know how many people were <laughs> online in '96. I'm just saying that for people who remember when AOL charged four dollars an oh, hour. Oh no, I remember. I yes, I remember that. <laughs> really, it was hourly. It was an yeah. You got ten hours free per month, and then it was four dollars an hour. Yeah, I got in big trouble with that. Oh my god, yeah, I I, I was paying them off into the two thousands. Jeez. Hey, that same summer, I was radio, I was, you know, as I said, a radio DJ, I was literally playing Can't Stop the Music by the Village People when the city cut the power lines to the entire block and the radio station wasn't on the air again for seven days. They could stop the music. (laughs) I wondered if they were listening and just like, no fucking village people. (laughs) It's that moral president, no village people in his America.